Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? Do you intend to continue steadfast in the confession and this church to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away. An oath, a vow, that these 18 confirmands are about to take. I'm about to read that sentence to them. And by God's grace, they will answer, I do so intend with the help of God. A little while ago, I sat similarly to you. And as I stood in front of the congregation, I was asked this question, do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? And I remember thinking to myself, sure, I've never known anybody killed for their faith. I mean, what's the likelihood of that happening? I don't know if it's because the internet, I know this is hard for you to believe, was not yet invented. <laughs> I know. But whether we weren't watching the news, whether the around-the-world reports of those that were being persecuted for their faith never seemed to make it into our little television set, for whatever reason, I now know, yes, people were being persecuted, but it was not on my radar. It's on your radar. It's in our nightly news. There were adults killed last week in front of their children, beheaded. Because ISIS said it will scar them and they'll never think twice about confessing Jesus. That's just in one place. That's just in one place in our world currently today where people are persecuted, made fun of, and killed for saying I remain steadfast in the confession of the church in my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and I would sooner die than give it up. An oath, a vow. We have a few of them in our day today. Many of you are military. Uh, I promise to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. All enemies. And especially for those of you who have spent time recent decades in the sand with a buddy as the shelling came in or as the bullets came flying over, as you were driving in a convoy, as you were at the base and shells dropped in, you, you knew what it meant to say, I will guard, I will protect, I will look out for the guy on my right and to the guy on my left. And even the zoomies, even them coming over going, I've got guys on the ground and we are going to protect 
and I've got to drop supplies in, and I've got to get gas out to the people that need it, and I've, I've got to do my job and my part to protect and defend my brothers and sisters. And an ideal, a country, a nation, a wall, a family who's back home. And I am willing to die. Marriage vows. Well, those aren't as serious. I mean, all we say is, well, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death parts us, I pledge you my faithfulness. Which means, and, and I make people say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because you don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You make a vow, you make a promise, and you honor that vow. Premarital counseling, I'm always reminding the guys. So, you asked her to marry you. She said, yes, we're here today. Awesome, are you ready to die? And he, he always thinks I'm joking. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, my dad's already talked to me, and I know I'll have to, you know, watch uh, three less football games than my normal 12, and uh, there'll be a few less nights of drinking with my buddies. And, and I go, no, no. <laughs> Are you ready to do what Holy Scripture says? Which says, die to yourself. Die to your name, die to your ambition, die to, well, I was put on this earth to be successful. Are you prepared to die to that? Wives, you're asked to die. Die to your husband. Die for the sake of the needs of your children. To put others in front of yourself to do the sacrificial thing. Vows. Oaths. This is no small thing today. This is no light thing you will do today. You will stand in front of a congregation. You will receive God's blessing. You are saying, go ahead, kill me. I know where I'm going. And this is not my home. Heaven is my home. And many of you have made a similar confession of faith at some point or some time in your life. If you grew up in a, a Lutheran church, maybe you had a pastor that stood you up in front of the church and said, turn around, be prepared to answer any question I give you. And they stood up, all 12, 13, 14 years old of them, they were like, oh, please don't ask me that question. What is the meaning of the Bible? You're like, oh, I don't, Jesus, correct, you are correct. And moving right along, and, and you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah okay, I got it right. And, and all of a sudden you just thought, ah, I can't believe being a faith is so stressful. We're not going to institute that back here again today. You've done your confession of faith yesterday in front of your parents. 
You guys got a lot going on in your lives. No beyond a shadow of a doubt, your pastor, your youth workers, the department, every, every bit of this church, the people that are behind you, I want you to understand, these people pray for you and will lift you up and will back you and guard and protect you. But you're about to make an oath. It's an oath to die. Now, I know many of you are going, wait a minute, we just heard that Peter made it out. He was alive. He, you know, he was rescued from God. Hold on. Let, let, me, let me just stop here a second before you get going too far in our reading. Because here's the point of the reading. Verse 2. Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This is 11 years after Jesus has been raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. 11 years, and here is the first apostle, James, beheaded. The first of the 12 to die, the hand of another. This is the first, and the others are coming behind very soon. You are joining a club where people die. I wonder what Zebedee thought. You see, this is the son, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. One son dead, one still alive. Oh, he heard the story. He probably was even on the shore the day that Jesus came and said, put your nets down, come and follow me. And Zebedee was going, whoa, 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 this is the family business. And James and John left to follow Jesus for three years. And 11 years afterwards, James is dead. Martyred for his faith. 11 years. Some of you are 12, some of you are 14, 25, 23, 24, 25. You're done with college. Are you ready to die? Pastor Dyer, you're being a little dramatic. You're trying to scare them for crying out loud. Nobody dies for their faith. Wrong. And persecuted? It's already happening. You're already made fun of at school. I know that. Absolutely know that. You'll be passed over for promotions because of it. If you're a disciple who actually lives out your faith, you'll be passed over. You'll be made fun of. You won't get as far as the rest of the world gets because Jesus absolutely has told us they will hate you because of me, Jesus says. And it will cause consternation in your families. It'll cause consternation between you and your siblings. Because you'll want to stand firm in the faith. And there will be even family members, maybe even ones that are here today, that would rather acquiesce and give in to the ways of the world for a little bit of pride, a little bit of promotion, a little bit of money rather than stand firm in Christ. And what is exactly this picture? You see, Peter no doubt knows that James has been killed. He's been martyred. His head is now off of his body. And Peter has been arrested. And, and what is the situation here? The story, we, we just heard it. He's lying in jail, fast asleep, with a chain on the right, a chain on the left, to a guard. Outside the door, there's another guard. Outside of that, another set of guards. Outside of that, a gate in the city wall that is closed, locked off. There is no hope for Peter to escape. 
There is nothing that is going to be able to get past the guards of Rome. Now, how many of you think, well, trial's the next day. How many of you think Peter would be saying, hmm, I, I better enjoy the last evening I have on this earth. Well, no, I'll be really holy even. I'll spend it all night in prayer, and God will see my faithfulness and rescue me. Nope. How do we find Peter? Asleep. No fear whatsoever. The disciples... They're off praying. Dear Lord, you got to do something. Send a miracle. You got to. It's Peter. He's the big guy. You can't let him die. <laughs> An angel of the Lord comes on the scene. Peter, shh, wake up. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how you awaken in the middle of the night out of you're in a dead sleep, right? And be, I mean, normally it's, whoa, 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 what's going on? Peter, put your shoes on, put your cloak on, we're out of here. And Scripture says he thought he was having a dream. So he gets up, puts his shoes on. And you can picture him, right? And the angel's going, come on. And they walk right past the next set of guards and the set of guards after that. And they get to the city gate that is all locked up and all of a sudden, and he walks through that. They walk for a whole nother block and he looks around and says, like, whoa, where'd the dude go? And he says, then, all of a sudden he goes, huh, I think God's been with me. You think? And it's like he says, oh, wait a minute. That this is not a dream. It's real. Oh my gosh. Why is it that even today, Christians, why is it that it is so far-fetched for us to believe that God can rescue from man's hands? Oh, it would never happen. It would never be released. It could never happen. I know our judicial system. I know our cops. They're really good. walks right out the center of town. Ha! We get over there, and he goes back, he realizes, man, I've got something good to say. He goes to the house of Mary, all right, he, he, he knocks on the door, a servant girl comes out, and he speaks to her, and she's like, oh, ha! that's Peter's voice! She's so excited, she lets him, no, she doesn't, she leaves the door shut, she runs off. He's going, there are guards looking for me. She runs back in. She says, Peter's here. And they're like, oh, wacko, weirdo. No. Well, it must be his angel. You, you see a little glimpse. They're like, well, maybe it's a guardian angel sent to encourage us or to remind us to keep praying or something. I mean, there might be something divine here. She runs back out. No, no, it's really Peter. He opens the door, and the picture is from Scripture is that he kind of steps in and goes, Hey, I want to let you all know, <laughs> I was asleep, the chains fell off, we walked right past all 16 guards, got to the outer city gate, the thing opened in front of us, there was no magical incantation, nobody touched it, I didn't really touch nothing, it just opened up, we walked out, and the dude left, and I'm here now. 
Does he stay? Does he come inside? Does he hide? No, Scripture says he left them. He had other places to go. That even in the midst of his great freedom, in the midst of after being in bondage, being freed, Peter gets it. And Peter goes, I've got some place to go. I've got other people to tell. I've got good news to share. Christians, why is it? Why? That we are brought to the foot of the cross, we're killed, we're, we're dead, right? Holy waters of baptism. Romans 6 says, do you not know that those of you who are buried in Christ were buried in his death? Buried means you were dead. But now, alive. And Peter gets it, and Peter goes, yeah, absolutely, I've got life to live, I've got to move on, I've got a good gospel story to share. This is not the end. Confirmation is not over. You just got marching orders is all. You've now been set apart and said, approved for battle. Approved to go forgive. Approved for being my message bearers. Approved for being open to those that are lost and giving with everything that you have. Approved. And so are you. There is not a person here today who has not been stamped and approved by Jesus Christ. There's only one requirement. He's called you all to be disciples. Everyone here, he's called to be a disciple. But here's the definition of what it means to be a disciple. It's someone who's died. Someone that's died to themselves. To their pride. To their degree. To their own image of what they think they are. Someone who's died to gossip, cheating, who's died to, well, guys are just guys, we got to do what we got to do, die. Who've died to their schedule and all the activities that make the resume look so good. A disciple has died. And if you're holding on to things this morning, if there are little parts and areas of your life to go, wow, I want to hold on to that. I mean, I've worked hard for my reputation. I've worked hard for my retirement. I've worked hard for my rights. I'm telling you, if you don't die, you're not a disciple. You can memorize all the scripture you want, you can understand, you can pray, you can come to church even. But if you don't die to self and let Jesus come in and live, then you're not a disciple. Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone that has died. You die to your passions. You die to your desires. Well, I deserve to be happy, don't I? I deserve to be in this. I deserve to be recognized. And I no, you don't. A disciple says, I will die to it all. And there have Christ who lives in me. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Gain! To die is gain. I mean, we have a world that says if you die, it's over, it's all gone. No, we say if you're buried with Christ in your baptism, die! Die the good death and be raised in Jesus. Be raised in Jesus. I mean, live as Jesus would have you. Live in such a way that people around you go, that dude's a Jesus follower. I don't even have to ask. This week I was at a pastor's conference. <laughs> uh, the main speaker was sharing a story of how early on in his ministry he realized that what God was calling him to do was to die. He said he didn't get it until... Early, early in his ministry, he was a painter, a bivocational pastor, which means he got, pay, he got paid for doing work, and then Sunday he didn't get paid for being a pastor preaching and all this other stuff. So he's a painter. He learned the, the craft in college. He was an excellent painter. Uh, he joins this church as kind of the mission planting church, and uh, he, he says, uh, uh, so we're going to have a fundraiser. And he's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll paint a house. I'll just donate that time. They donate the supplies. I'll paint the house. It'll be awesome. And, oh, yeah, that'll be awesome. That'll raise probably $1,000, $1,500. That's awesome. <laughs> and the winning bid came in at $50. This is this guy's livelihood. So he's like, fine. You know, I'll tape it off. I'll do it. Can't believe somebody's $50. I'll do it. Fine. I'll take two or three days. I'll paint this house. I'll move on, and I'll get paid. We can pay our bills. And he gets the address to this place, and he starts driving out of town. And he keeps driving further out of town and further out of town. And he really, he's like, who the heck is that? It's probably just a little shack. I'll scrub it down, paint it up, move on. And he keeps driving further and further out of town until it's finally it's a dead-end road. And he's like, the only person, the only homes that I know that are out this way are multi-million-dollar homes. <laughs> and sure enough, he turns the corner, and he pulls up, and this house is 9,000 square feet. <laughs> and it's got juts and eddies and peaks and all sorts. I mean, this is going to, he does this quick estimate. It's going to take him eight weeks, five days a week to paint this house. And he starts calculating in his mind, I, I, I'm going to lose business. I'm not going to be able to have bills to pay for two months. God, what are you doing? This is stupid. I can't believe you have me here. And I mean, he is hacked off. He is yelling at God. He is cursing at, all over the place. And the guy walks out and he's like, well, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, I really appreciate this. I just want to let you know I, I don't like sprayers. They're not very uh, environmentally sound. So I'd like you to hand paint this house with two coats. Oh, he's fuming. <laughs> he is fuming. Starts to work, 
two weeks go by and four weeks go by and he comes home every night and his wife's going, uh, we, we got to have some money. Uh, I, I got a grocery shop. So he goes to work on the weekends with other small jobs just to be bringing in a couple of, because he's not getting paid for this eight-week job. Six weeks go by, and finally at the end of eight weeks, he finishes the job, and he's wrapping things up, he's cleaning up, and, and he walks out, and the guy, the owner, says, uh, ah, you did a, did a good job. Thanks for being here. Shakes his hand. Thanks for being here, the guy says. Gets in his truck, he's driving down to the end of the driveway, and there is a truck. At the end of the driveway, and this young guy gets out, and uh, he says, hey, uh, you're painting my dad's house. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I know my dad can be a bit of a tightwad. <laughs> yeah. He said, but I want you to know I've been coming at my lunchtime every day for the last eight weeks to see if you would quit. To see if you would do a bad job. To see what kind of guy you were. I heard you were a Christian pastor and I was sure you were going to cheat my dad. But you didn't. And I want to let you know I'm a landowner and contractor. I'm about to finish a major multi-million dollar complex and I need it painted. Will you come to work for me? Says, uh, I want you to pay, I want to pay you top dollar. Don't, don't screw me over, just I'll pay top dollar for however long this takes. It took about a year. You said they paid off debt that they had. They had more money than they'd ever had their entire married life, and, and yet they weren't you know, bad with it. They put some in savings. They paid off things. They were able to pay bills. They didn't get a bigger home or any of those kinds of things. They, just, they lived within their means with the blessing of God. And finally, Hugh's going, man, this is so good. God answered our prayers, right? And he gets to the end of that year, and the guy goes, here, I need you to come in. I need you to sign these papers. And he's like, okay, what's this for? And he says, this is a condo. So we can't buy a condo. He goes, no, no, this is your condo. And so he signs on the dotted line, and, and he says, man, what, what are you talking about? And he says, you're the brand new owner of a $125,000 condo. Congratulations. And he said, tell you what, um, I happen to know that housing prices are going through the roof today. You need to sell it. And the guy had a buyer for the condo for $250,000. And the next year, their son needed to have brain cancer. Where do you think the money came from? If you'll die to yourself, if you'll finally die to what you think you deserve and what you're owed, if, you, if you'll die to the world giving you your props, I'll guarantee you that God provides. I will guarantee you that He will give you your heart's desires, and I don't mean millions of dollars. I mean the things that are necessary and important. Family, faith, love. These are the gifts of God. And He says, come to the foot of the cross and die. I will give you everything 
Life in Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a disciple. Peter goes on to share. Like I said, you guys are not done. You're not done. We're not done. We have been freed. Uh, freed. The, the chains have been knocked off. We have been given life in Jesus Christ. And now we move from house to house to house to tell them, come and live in Jesus. That's what a disciple does. A disciple dies to self and lives in Christ. To God be the honor. To God be the glory. Amen.